This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, episode 183, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank everyone for listening. Still in Buffalo. Just had some wings. Got my guest, my man, Matt Perino. By the way, dude. This is the fourth time you've been on the podcast. You ready for some history? Yeah. First ever four-time guest on my show, man. First time ever. Wow. Proud? Elite. I mean, there's some elite company in the, in the three-fur. <laughs> so uh, to be the first four. First four. And I'm late to the game. I mean, I, I got you into are? town after you started the podcast. Yeah. So I feel I feel very bad. We got a good chemistry. I love hanging out with you. I appreciate you having me on. But before we get, go any further, I have to ask you the question that everybody around town is asking, is your stomach okay? <laughs> You've had more wings the last couple of days, and I, people are worried. My stomach is um not doing well. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's not doing well. I've had let's see seven new spots in the place that we're at, which we're going to talk about in just a second. It's the second time I've had wings here in three days now, but it's fun, man. Plus, as you know, when I get back to Florida, you know this. I'll go three, four months without even trying wings because they're just. There's no comparison. Some things in Buffalo when it comes to food, and Buffalo's known for food, obviously, but I think some things are at least slightly overrated. Like, I love Buffalo pizza. I'm not dissing Buffalo pizza whatsoever, but I think you could go to many cities and get really good pizza. You know, I go to Florida, and it's not as good as Buffalo, but it's at least tolerable. But when you go to Florida, and when it comes to chicken wings, there's just no difference. I mean, I don't know, say there's no difference. There's no comparison. Right. Wings in Buffalo are unlike anywhere else. In any city I've ever been to, when I go and I get the wings, they, they're just, they, they pale in comparison. Now, maybe some cities will have one place you could go to where you could get wings, but in Buffalo, as you know this and everyone listening knows this, there's dozens, if not maybe even hundreds of places that you can go and sit down and enjoy some really good chicken wings. You can't do that in other places. I feel like I've lost, I don't think I've lost friends, but I've definitely like changed the dynamic of some of my friendships with people from you know, on the road, like when I used to travel in the UFC, like we'd go out and, you know, obviously the company was paying. So we'd go into some nice place and people would order Buffalo wings. And I'd kind of look at them kind of half like questioning their, de- their decisions in life. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? You don't order Buffalo wings anywhere right. outside of the 716 area code. And, you know, honestly, there's so many good places, places that you've put me onto that other people have put me onto since I've been back. I hadn't, embarrassingly enough, I hadn't had Bar Bill until I came back. And, man, just sunny reds. I mean, Elmo's. There's so many amazing places. There really is. And speaking of, we're at one of them right now. And I, we talked about this while we're eating. Anyone out there listening in the future, when you do start coming to this place, and you will, and you start liking these wings, and you will, myself and Matt Perino, does, we deserve and we demand <laughs> all the credit for it. No one else is stealing our shit this time, man. We're at Casey's Tavern. It is in... Black Rock, I like to call it West Side because to me it's like that West Side, Black Rock border. It's on Amherst Street. It's remodeled. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let's talk about the wings because that's what I do when I have these wings with episodes with guests like yourself. So we got hot wings and we got barbecued on the pit, right? Those are on the pit. Dude, they were good. And I mean, these are legitimate wings. And we always talk about different style of wings. You got pizza joint wings. You got bar wings. These are clearly bar wings. These were really good, man. And they hit the spot. I felt like for me, the hot, sometimes when I get hot wings, now you have a, a, a spicier palate than I do. You like a hot wing, generally speaking, 
more than I do. These were hot, but for me, they weren't too hot that I couldn't enjoy them. They were tasty. They were cooked well. They were plenty crispy. They were saucy, but not like obnoxiously saucy. You know what I mean? And well, I'll let you speak on the barbecue because you're more of a barbecue guy than I am. But first, let's talk about these hot wings, man. Casey's Tavern, the hot wings, legit. They hit the spot for me really good. The first thing is the bite, the crisp. Like yeah. if it if it doesn't hit you with that crisp right off the j- jump, it's it's kind of a disappointing experience. Right. And I thought the first time I went for the barbecue first because I'm a barbecue guy, like you said, and that's my wife's fault. My wife's listening. I never was into barbecue wings before I met her, and then we started dating. And everywhere we go, she's got to try the barbecue wings. But I had the hot wings; they were really delicious. The barbecue was really good, and it, the the sauce was lathered on it on yeah. there. And sometimes if the sauce isn't great, that could be a bad experience. But the sauce was great. The I mean, we'll get to the vibe, obviously, but love this place. I'm a big Casey's guy now. And I'm, and we don't even know this when we set this up. I'm going to be here in two days yeah. with uh, a, a few people doing a, a separate show for my, uh, for nyupsyracuse.com. So awesome place. I'm so pumped that we both found it. Well, I'll tell you what. I've grown up around this area, and Casey's Tavern's been around for 50 years. And how do I say it nicely? <laughs> this bar's changed a lot in actually just like the last month. So this bar was open for decades. It was an old person gin bar. You know what I mean? People came in. It was neighborhood, local, typical Buffalo dive bar, which is really cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not really dissing that style of bar. But it was, for lack of a better term, man, it was rundown. It was, it was an old bar, an old person's bar. This is not the case. The guy bought this bar, I think, 18 months ago. It was closed. This bar has been closed for the last almost 18 months now. It just reopened like literally a month ago. So I walked in here. I came in. We're taping this on a Monday night. And I was here last Friday. A couple of buddies of mine hit me up on Facebook that I went to school with because I'm in town and you know, I'm trying to see as many people as I can. And they asked me to come to Casey's Tavern and have a drink with them. And they know that I do the chicken wing thing. They said, you got to try their wings. I'll, I'll buy you some wings. So I said, all right, man. Tell them to throw them down. I'll be here in about 20 minutes anyway. Long story short, so I pull up, and it's on Hammer Street again. Black Rock, and I'm wa- expecting to walk into what I grew up knowing at Casey's Tavern, because I did drink here plenty of times when I was younger. I walked in, I was literally blown away. This place looks phenomenal. The owner put a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money into it, and it, it's, I mean, it's the same name, it's the same building, but this is not the old Casey's Tavern by any means anymore. I mean, this bar just looks spectacular. You know what really gets me as a, as a big-time sports fan growing up? When you walk into a bar and you immediately kind of eliminate it from the bars that you'd be willing to watch a game in. Right, yeah. This one, you walk in to the front part of the bar. We're not even talking about the back yet. And you're immediately like, this is it. Everywhere I look, I could see the game. Uh, we talked to the owner, great guy, yeah. talking about how on game days, it really gets pumping in here because the energy is going and you can see the game. So, yeah, man, this is this has everything. It's incredible. And they got the arcade in the back. That's great. That's where we're sitting right now as we're taping this. It is. It, they got sporty stuff in the front. They got a penalty box, by the way. So if you do something stupid when you're drinking or <laughs> whatever, they'll put your ass in the box. They put this big buzzard on. They make you sit down. They even have a clock that goes off. That's really cool. That's original. Really decorative in the front. Very modern looking. And, yeah, then you come in the back here. There's tables to eat. There's four pinball machines here. There's four or five arcade games. There's a table soccer game, and a photo booth. Photo booth. <laughs> we might be in there we before. To, then. <laughs> yeah, we have to go get in there and get it, really just kind of mark the occasion. I just, you know, it's these type of places, these um, single-owned places, non-corporate places, these neighborhood places where everybody knows your name and you walk in. You're proud to be from the area. You come, you walk in. They're just a lot of fun to be for. And for people like me and you, it's easy to root for these type of places to do well. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And like you could just tell the vibe when you walk into a place like this. I mean, you know, everybody's got a smile on their face. They're having a good yeah. time. It's it's and it's part of town that, listen, my wife went to Buff State. So this is a kind of area of town that, you know, there's a lot of good things going on in this town. I mean, people don't know really about Buff State because obviously, you know, it's not really a college town. Right. UB kind of has a lot of mojo going, but. You know, Buff State's a, a great school. They got some sports programs down here. This is a cool part of town. And, yeah, it's, it, I, we're definitely going to come back, even not podcast, TV, uh, video show related. This is a, a great place to hang out. Yeah, it's a good place to come. Have some beers. Definitely have some wings. Like I said, the, you're more the barbecue guy than I am. I like the barbecue guy, but I'm just not, I'm not a barbecue guy. So they were okay for me. Hot wings, 
I almost swore, man. I caught myself. <laughs> that, that's how much I liked them. They were <laughs> they were phenomenal wings. They really were. So anyone listening, you want to give a new place a try, come to Casey's Tavern and make sure you give Patrick and Matthew all the credit afterwards <laughs> when you like it. One of the many things that I like about you and that we have in common is that we're Buffalo people, but we've also spent time not living in Buffalo. Like you lived in Vegas. I currently live in Florida. Do you feel sometimes it's easy to take a city for granted when you live there all your life and it's all you know, and sometimes it's like you got to move away to really kind of appreciate the little things, the little nitty-gritty things about Buffalo that maybe you take for granted when you live here all your life. But then when you leave and you come back, you really start to appreciate some of the little things that, what not just Buffalo, and when I say Buffalo, obviously I mean all of Western New York, that it has to offer because that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now after being gone for three and a half years. I come back to places like this at Casey's Tavern and see some of the people in there having a good time and just the neighborhood community sense. I think it's something that some people at least might take for granted until they leave and they come back like I have and like you did. Absolutely. And it's natural to take these things for granted because it's something that, you know, we're so used to and we count on every day. You know, for, for my wife and I, when we, when we left, it was much more difficult for her because, you know, I was working for you know, a company that was sending me around the globe and I was watching like marquee fights. It was, it was an unbelievable lifestyle, but even with all of that and the glitz and glam of, uh, uh Las Vegas, I still, you know, th- missed so many different things about Buffalo, you know, people all the time when UB, even before last season, when they were, you know, the basketball team was so good, you know, it'd be a, a Tuesday night and, and the students would be off campus and I'd be checking the scores and, Guys in the office would be like, what, what are you looking at? I'm like, ah, just checking my, my college team score. Great, great. I guarantee you it's probably a cool environment there tonight. I just want to go to the game, you know? And, yeah. and, and you can't do that when you're not here. You know, right. th- just certain things. Tonight I was actually going to go to UB Bana, but I said, my, you know, you put up the signal, and I said, hey, Mar- Analytics time, Pat Moran, I'm going to go <laughs> come hang out. But, no, there's so many different things that you miss, and you don't even realize the things that you're going to miss. Like, sometimes – you know, I dr- I've driven by behind Amherst High School on uh, Saratoga. There's this big hill that you go. Um, uh, I went to Amherst High School, and it, you got uh, kids go sliding down in, in in the winter. And I've driven past past it a million times, and you know, just driving by it brings you back to your childhood sure. every time. And that's something that I probably didn't see for maybe six years because yeah. for whatever reason I didn't see it, and then I moved, and then I came back, and. Those little experiences you just lose when you don't live in your hometown. And I will say on the opposite end, there's little things that from Las Vegas that I took for granted that I miss now too. Just the being able to drive, you know, down uh, the throughway and see the strip. I mean, that was such an, a cool, unique experience, and I could do it every day, and I did it almost every day. And now that's gone. I was going to say, obviously, not just for career reasons, but also personal reasons. You obviously don't regret leaving Buffalo for a period of time and going to live in Vegas, because, like you said, that's kind of like the other opposite end of the spectrum as much as i miss buffalo i'm also glad that i got to go live and experience life because it is really and you know this is especially jesus christ living in vegas is different than far different than most other cities the culture the lifestyle everything about vegas i'm sure is like 90 day different than buffalo well it's interesting there's two worlds in vegas there's the strip life and then there's the suburban life and i will say the suburban life had a lot of Buffalo qualities. I mean, it, it wasn't, you weren't part of the hustle and bustle. It almost was like, I feel like the, you know, suburbanites had to create a world away from the craziness because if not, you'd be kind of just run over by the tourism of it all, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like unless you want to go down there, you could really live your life and, and completely um, separated from all of the craziness. And you know, my wife and I would go down to a show or, you know, I, I'd have to work down there. You know, T-Mobile Arena before that, MGM Grand, Mandalay Bay, we'd be down there for all of our events. But before, but if I didn't want to go down there, I didn't have to experience it. But the cool thing is about Vegas, and I tell this, pe- especially people that haven't been there, every time you go down there, it's a new experience. I mean, there's some craziness. Like, of course, there's drunk people late at night, whatever. But really, it's just, it's a magical place, man. It's lit up all the time. I was in Nashville earlier this year when, when Bill's Mafia took over. Uh, the strip there, those kind of places where you just get all types of different human beings in one place at one time. It's just fun to watch. And I just think that it's, it's got so much energy. You just talked about the bills taking over in Nashville. I wasn't there. You were, but just seeing it on Twitter, the videos, you showed me a video 
of Bills fans just taking that city over. Now, you covered the Buffalo Bills, obviously, and the fans. You could say this without kissing up to them because I feel like it's the truth. These fans really are like no other fan base in the NFL. And as somebody who's a beat writer for the Bills and travels, you get to go to other cities now, second season, going to these other cities. It really is a pretty big difference the way the Bills support their team. I'm sorry, the fans support the Bills compared to a lot of these other cities. And don't get me wrong, there's some cities, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Green Bay, you know those traditional fans, they're just as good. But cities like Nashville and all these, the fans in Buffalo are just so much more passionate, it seems. Look at, they're going to Houston, and we're obviously going to talk about Houston. I, I think flights are sold out already. I was they're No, they're not sold even out. sold out, but they're, they're just absolutely gouging everybody. I looked this <laughs> afternoon, the cheapest flight down there right now from Buffalo to Houston was 1300 round trip. That's that crazy. was the cheapest. People are going to pay it too. The next weekend, you can get a flight down there for 200 bucks and back. <laughs> so, I mean, listen, I don't blame them. I get it. Um, but in terms of Bill's Mafia, I mean, I knew, like, growing up here, and I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast, I grew up, like, when it was just the 12th man. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, before the Bill's Mafia right. phenomenon and Del Reed changed the face of this whole he thing. He really did. You know, Breon and, uh, you know, that, that whole team, that whole Bill's Mafia OGs there. But I think that. What's so special about Bills fans is that they've suffered so much. Like, that's what makes it so surreal now that the team is good and to see them really getting to kind of enjoy it and to revel in it a little bit. Because there's been no reveling. Even the two years ago, there was no reveling. This is a completely different scenario. They were. It was the last second of the season when they got the... The, the, the lottery ticket to go and, right. and play a Jacksonville team that, you know, obviously that game didn't turn out like they wanted. Um, and now it's just to see them go on the road and the way that they take over every city. Nashville was insane, Patrick. Like, I, you know, I talked to my guys, Sal Capaccio, Jay Skursky, all the guys that were, you know, I was down there with. And you look up and down the strip and all you see are Josh Allen jerseys and just Bill's insignias everywhere. That was crazy. But what, you know what I thought was even more special? Thanksgiving in Dallas. I'm walking downtown, and I'll be damned if I didn't see 10 to 15 Bills jerseys, Bills shirts every block I walked. Really? And that's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like, just think about that. Like For me growing up, and my dad and my grandfather were massive Bills fans. Like They, they lived and breathed Yankees baseball. And Bills football, every Sunday. That's all we did. We never we we didn't go to away games like it just the budget or whatever. Mm-hmm. So to see the kind of commitment that so many people have, not that they didn't, it was just a different time, was different uh, circumstances for them. But to see that you know they're probably sacrificing trips that they can go do otherwise. You know they're probably sacrificing trips to Disneyland or you know Las Vegas for some yeah. you know maybe single people like you know to to support a team that. For all intents and purposes, the last two decades has been bad. And that's what makes them special. There's no fair weather. Did you see that picture, that panoramic I I tweeted out of the game on Sunday? Uh, From the press box? If you didn't see it, I'll show you after the show. It's literally a panoramic of the the stadium from the press box. So everything I'm seeing. And literally, man, 60,000, I think 60, 65,000 people showed up in a meaningless game. Raining. Raining. Backups, you knew we're going to play the majority of the game. Probably going to be a loss, and because the Jets played all their starters and still look like crap. Right. That's that's a different breed of sports fan, and it's cool. I mean, listen, what's so? It's people joke with me all the time, like, "Oh, it's so cool. You're back in Buffalo covering the Bills, and they're good now. Like that's got to be so special." Of course it is. It's great to cover a winning team. Like you don't root so much anymore. Like I'm not in the press box. Like, oh, I hope the Bills win this game. Like. Honestly, at least I'm thinking, not overtly or not. Anyway. No, I think somewhere down deep in my heart, I, I think I'll sure. always be a Bills that's fan. Natural. You know, it's natural. It's what you grew up with. But I'm working now. Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking about all the different ways I have to cover this game. Right. And right. from, you know, so it's just different. But for the fan base, like, and to have not only this team, but a, a few of these players that have really embraced, like, I know growing up, like, I love Jim Kelly because he loved being here right. after a while. That was special to me. And they have a, a team of a lot of players, a coaching staff, and especially their quarterback that just live and breathe Buffalo.
it feels genuine too with Josh Allen. I don't think he's putting on a, a dog and pony show when he's saying some of the things that he says and, and, and that he does. I think he legitimately, and I don't know if maybe Jim Kelly, I, obviously any quarterback that's been around since Jim Kelly is still involved with the team, Jim's had some kind of personal influence on that guy. But I feel like you could really see the Jim Kelly fingerprints all over Josh Allen, not so much even on the field. I'm talking about at press conferences. I'm talking about just in the locker room, the way he feels about Buffalo. It feels like everything that Josh Allen says, sometimes players, and, and as a reporter, you know this, you cover the team, sometimes things can feel like kind of coach speak or they're, they're, they're just they're saying the right things. Not just Josh Allen, because generally this team I'm talking about, but more specifically, Josh Allen, when he says stuff like that about Buffalo, I feel like he legitimately truly means it. That he really loves being here. You know, sometimes over the course of the last two years watching him, I have said, man, he really is playing it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was a moment, um, and I'm not saying that any of it was not genuine, but it just felt like, man, this almost seems a little too good to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, that, he, that he's this in on Buffalo. But it's not, it's not a, a sham. So I'm in the locker room on Friday, right? And he gets a package. And they, from time to time, players across the locker room get packages put at their lockers. And he's opening it. And I happen to be just standing right by his, his locker stall. And he's opening it. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm noticing him getting more and more excited. Like he knew what he was opening and he wanted to see what was in it. And so I'm just kind of sitting there watching like, what is this going to be? Like I, it was right around Christmas. So I'm sitting here like, I almost feel like I'm a part of Christmas morning. He's, he's opening up something that obviously means something to him. He opens it up. Smile from ear to ear. It's his number 17 Josh Allen Buffalo Braves jersey yeah. that he wore to the game this year. The guy literally ripped it open, started showing everybody in the locker room, put it on. And this is when no no camera. This was Friday. This was no, there's no cameras usually. The only camera that's usually in there, actually, uh, John Scott from Spectrum News. He's usually there on Sundays. Everybody else usually is. They've already got their stuff on Thursday and, and Wednesday. And so he's going locker to locker. He immediately puts it on and taking pictures with it. And like that stuff, that kind of a reaction, that's not for show. Like a lot, of, I could see a guy getting a, a jersey like that and just tossing it in the locker and be like, all right, I'll see you Sunday. You know what I mean? He he loves it here. He he embraces it. He, he wanted to be here. And I think that it helps how much this community has embraced him. I know a lot of the naysayers out there call it standing for Josh Allen, yeah. the, the defenders, this and that. But I think it's okay as a fan to buy in to not only the pers- the player, but the person, and then support that guy. That's what sports are all about. Right, and he's your hometown quarterback, and I'll tell you what, after watching Sam Darnold play against a bunch of backups, that made me, well, all right, I don't want to go too far here because Josh Allen's had a couple incredible games this year, but I would say Sam Darnold playing the way he looked against the Bills made me like Josh Allen almost as much as anything that Josh Allen did in some of these games this year. I feel much better about him as a Buffalo Bills quarterback now than I ever have. Well, look at the situations. What's what's the potential in 2020 for Sam Darnold, with which the Jets look committed to Adam Gase? Yeah. Baker Mayfield, who knows what situation is going to be in place there? And what kind of damage did one year under Freddie Kitchens do? You look at the situations that, I mean, Josh Rosen isn't even a part of this conversation That's anymore. That's crazy, but yeah. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, both in situations with good cultures, winning cultures, and I think we have to say that now. Sean McDermott, two playoff berths in three seasons, has built a winning culture in Buffalo. Lo and behold, these two quarterbacks are finding success. So I think that, yeah, you have to be thrilled with where you're sitting with that 2018 draft class. But again, I'm interested to see what the Jets do, if they really are committed to gays, who they bring in in Cleveland. There's upside with those both those players. And I don't think that you'll really know. I mean, Marcus Mariota... He came in the same year as Dak Prescott, right? Um, uh, not sure. I know he was the second pick after Winston, though. James Jameis Winston. Yeah, Jameis Winston. You know, yeah. and over the course of their um their careers, they've kind of, you know, Marcus Mariota was kind of going up, 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 and Jameis Winston was kind of just like, eh, but now he's kind of like weirdly crescendoing to an up, and Marcus Mariota is benched. So you never really know where they're going to end up, and where even is Jameis Winston, really, after all this anyway? You know. I mean, you're down in there in Tampa Bay. 30 interceptions is where he's at, man. He's, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get too far off track, but I can't help this because you said his name. 
To me, Jameis Winston is one of the worst kind of quarterbacks you can have, and here's why. E.J. Manuel, as bad as he was for the Bills, I feel like by the end of year two, you knew he was not going to be your guy. You knew that. There was no question about that. Jamarcus Russell, ditto. A guy like Jameis Winston makes enough good plays and he does enough good things that you believe that he could take that next step and, and make your team a playoff team and a winner. Now, five years in a row, dude, in Tampa. And again, I'm not a Tampa fan. I live near there, but I don't give a shit about the Buccaneers. I'm going to be honest there with you. There it is. There's a swear word. Drop it. <laughs> there it is. But he does just enough to keep coming back. And then he continuously wins you six or seven games because of that. I mean, that pick six, were you, were you really surprised? I don't know if you saw as it happened, but you obviously saw the pick six. Was that not fitting for a quarterback like him? Were you surprised that that's how his season ended? Not at all. But you know what is surprising me, Pat? Like, what's going on with the coaches in this league? Bruce Arians asked about if they can win with another quarterback, and he goes, well, if we can win with this quarterback, we can win with another quarterback. Adam Gase asked about Le'Veon Bell, and he's like, well, he's under contract. Go talk to the GM. What are these guys doing? Like, are they taking a class in how to be a crappy coach? Because they're being absolutely crappy coaches. And, like, listen, we give Sean McDermott a hard time for, you know, he's very Belichickian in his press conferences. He doesn't like to give anything away. Um, Does that annoy you as a reporter sometimes? You know, it can when you're trying to, you know, find a different angle because, you know, when you're writing about this stuff, how many different times can you say, you know, there's a growth mindset and, you know, we're trying to get 1% better every day and, you know, we're playoff caliber and we just go over these cliches over and over again. It gets annoying when you're trying to write about it, but I understand it from a team component because these guys have all bought into that. So... I understand his mindset and why he does it. And I also think, wow, that's a way better approach than some of these other dummies who just continue to trip over themselves time after time. Like Washington, how many bad decisions have they made as an organization? It looks like they're finally going to make a good one, go out and hire Ron Rivera, who at least brings some semblance of pedigree right. to the position. He's been up and down. He's, I think he only had three winning seasons in nine years. So it's like, but he went to a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, so at least they're trending in the right direction. Some of these. Adam Gase, honestly, going into the season, I don't have a lot of hot takes. But I will say I was banging the table that that was the dumbest decision I've ever seen. Go at least make him prove it somewhere else as a coordinator again before you bring him in to the New York market. Right. Where now Manish Mehta, it seems like he's like, he just got it out for this guy. He's just going into town every time. Everything, word out of his mouth. He's got a reporter. He's talking to somebody. I just... I don't get it why some of these guys get the jobs that they get and the decisions that these franchises, especially like one like the New York Jets with a pretty big fan base in a, a massive market, Adam Gase just isn't the guy no, for that job. I agree with you 100%. One of the words you said a couple of minutes ago that really sticks with me is culture. And I'm going to be honest with you. I used to think that word was overrated. I don't anymore, but I did think it was overrated. You covered his team now for two years and you were a Bills fan growing up, so you've been around this team for the most part your whole life in some capacity, whether it's a fan, whether it's your job. I feel like this used to be a a town and an organization. Players would come here basically for two reasons. A, they're getting overpaid. You're going to get a lot more money if you're a free agent by signing with the Bills than somewhere else because they want you and they need you. Derek Dockery, Langston Walker, Mario Williams. I could keep going on for days and days. That's why those guys would come here or a guy would come here because he was, an, I don't want to say an outcast, but this was the only place you were going to get an opportunity to play. So those you were the, the two, third reason. What's the third reason? If you want to like make babies. If you want to make babies. Is that why Jordan Mather said? Shit to do? There's nothing else to yeah, do here? There's nothing else to do. Well, there's a lot to do here. But and chicken some wings, be, so yeah. four. So we'll go for But in all seriousness here, this was not a destination franchise by any means. Do you start to feel like the way this team is, first of all, they're winning. That's obviously the most important thing. Now they're not a joke anymore. They're not a perennial loser. There's no more drought. That's going the other way because it's now two playoff appearances in three seasons. But that culture that you spoke of, Sean McDermott, who, you know, when he was hired here, there wasn't a lot of excitement. But at least not by fans anyway. And it turns out that, I guess, he wanted to go to Cleveland or the analytics department wanted Sean McDermott, but I, th- I think it was the owners didn't care for him or something like that. I don't know. Point being is that it wasn't a flashy, fancy hire when he came here. But coming off the heels of Rex Ryan, I think a lot of fans also were happy that he wasn't a flashy, 
fancy hire, but he has really instilled a culture and chemistry in his team. There's no finger pointing. The defense has been great all year. The offense struggled at times. You never heard one person from the defense say, the offense needs to be better. No finger pointing. These guys genuinely, and again, you're one of these guys who can speak on it better than most others because you're in that locker room constantly. It seems to me that it's not BS. These guys genuinely play for each other. They genuinely like each other. And I feel like those kind of things spread word around the league so that whether it's this winter, not to mention the Bills obviously are going to be in pretty good cap shape too. Free agents are going to want to start coming here. They're going to want to buy in. They're going to want to be here. Now, they're not the New England Patriots where you want to win a Super Bowl, you come to New England. That's not what I'm saying. But this doesn't necessarily have to be you're only going to come here because the Bills are paying you more money than any other franchise. The culture and the organization, it seems to be strong, and, and I kind of feel like players are starting to take notice and they're going to want to come here for that reason. Well, I'll talk about the culture, but to your point, I think players are seeing what kind of production players that choose to come here can have. I sure. mean, John Brown, I mean, he's, his, he's the 14th best season in Bill's history for a wide receiver. Yeah. He put up in his first year after, you know, really having a good year uh, early on last year with Baltimore, but struggled otherwise. You look at Mitch Morse, who's come over here, John Feliciano and Quentin Spain, who have really elevated their kind of level in this league with coming over here. So I think people around the league are going to see that and be like, you know what? That, it seems like they got it figured out over there, at least how to put set up guys to be successful, not to mention, you know, the, uh, the facilities are second to none. And I come from the UFC world where they literally just built a brand new performance center before I came out here. So I saw the whole process, how they built it, how they researched it. And the Bills facility in Orchard Park stands up to a global uh, company and all the resources they put into building that. So you have to feel good about yeah. that. But from a culture perspective, here's an example I'll give you to kind of really demonstrate why I think it works. First of all, in, in big business or in, you know, any type of organizational situation, you have to have unity. You have to have um, everybody buy in, right? And a football team is different than a baseball team, a hockey team, a basketball team. There's 53 to, at times, 90 guys in a locker room that you have to have all on the same page and, yeah. and rowing the, same, the, the boat in the same direction. And I think what Sean McDermott does so well is he gets everybody to buy in to the belief that you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for everybody else. So when you look in a mirror, you're going to have to also turn and look everybody else in the eye. Shaq Lawson's a guy that I think everybody thought wasn't a Sean McDermott guy, right? Mm -hmm. Rex drafted him, or Whaley drafted him. But he was a Rex guy. When he got when they were kind of plunging out all everybody on the roster, the thought process was that Shaq Lawson would probably be uh, a guy that was expendable. Mm -hmm. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so this seemed like it would be a perfect year to, you know, if you need an extra quote, you could kind of go over to Shaq Stahl and, you know, put, put the mic in his face, ask him a couple questions, and usually he'll riff for you. I would argue that he's as bought in in a contract year when it's about him and about getting his bag, quote-unquote, you know, mm -hmm. getting paid. And every time I talk to him, all he wants to talk about is what the team is doing and what the goal of that week is to do because that's the, the agenda that Sean McDermott has set. We are focused on what we have to do this week. Whatever is coming down the road, it's irrelevant because if you don't win this game this week, you're going to put yourself in a worse situation to try to attain that goal that you have down the stretch. Yeah. I know there's people that don't believe in it, the culture thing, and like you know, a lot of it can be robotic, but you know, this is you're dealing with a bunch of guys that are routine and rhythm-based people. Like, every day they come to the, to the stadium at the same time. They practice at the same time. They watch film at the same time. It's about formula. It's about repetition. And they've really created an environment with two, obviously Leslie Frazier, super experienced, been, been around the, the league as a coach and a player, been a head coach, and Brian Dable, who literally got to study under the... Uh, Belichick regime for years and years and years and then won a national championship at Alabama. They have so much, you know, clout in that coaching room. And I think that they built a nice staff. The culture is where it's at because they've also tabbed players to cultivate it. 
So it doesn't work if it's just coming from the top. It's also coming from Lorenzo and Lee Smith and Jerry Hughes and Josh Allen and Mitch Morris and John Brown and Cole Beasley. They've done a good job of collecting talent to help them with their message, and there's been no faltering all season long when it comes to that. It feels like McDermott and Brandon Bean really work and lockstep well with each other. You mentioned a bunch of guys. First of all, I mean, look at the roster turnaround in just one season. I mean, it's been a couple of years now that the roster's been built, but if you look at just this one season, and you mentioned a lot of the guys, Brown, Beasley, Spain, Feliciano, Morris, obviously. Feliciano, guys like him, by the way, far exceeded, I think, what most people's expectations were when they signed here. And there's another guy, and this kind of speaks, and I want you to speak a little bit to Brandon Bean, because this is how I feel anyway. And if you don't, if you think I'm wrong, by all means, tell me. But like the plan of running back, that was a well thought out, executed plan. Because okay, so they go into the offseason, they got LaShawn McCoy, and they already got Chris Ivory, two veteran running backs. What did they do on day one of free agency? They signed Frank Gore. I remember a lot of people's reactions. Mine is like, huh? What? 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 So you want the oldest running back group in history, the NFL? You're thinking that that was my first reaction. But then I started realizing, you know what? There's a plan going on here. They get rid of Ivory, and then plus they signed T.J. Yeldon as well before the draft. So what do they do? I'm like, all right, well, my thought process at the time is they're going to roll one more season with veteran running backs and address it, you know, make it a priority in 2020 offseason. But no, they go and they draft a rookie running back. So when you, when you take that rookie, who is the perfect mentor for a guy like Devin? I mean, they didn't know they were going to get Devin Singletary in round three, but I'm pretty sure that Brandon Bean decided that I want to have a veteran like Frank Gore on my team to carry the load early and more importantly, be a mentor to the guy that I'm going to draft, which turned out to be Singletary. LaShawn McCoy was not that guy, talented or not. They ended up getting rid of him before the season starts. They keep Gore. They have Singletary. Gore does the job early on. He's been a great mentor. Devin Singletary is becoming a very big part of this office. It feels like that was a very well thought out, orchestrated plan. It had to be a plan when you signed Frank Gore on day one of free agency, when you already got LaShawn McCoy and Chris Ivory. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think that they had, you know, the way Brandon talks about it. Well, first of all, I'll tell you, when I was doing a story on Motor Singletary earlier this season, I asked Brandon aside uh, in the practice facility, I said, did you talk to Frank before you drafted Devin Singletary? Because I don't know if you're familiar, there, Kev, or, Frank Gore trains every summer with Kevin Smith, the former Detroit Lion, who was Devin Singletary's running backs coach at FAU. I didn't know that. So there was already a link. So Kevin Smith, even you know back when he got the job, they would sit in the lab every day in the film room, and he would show Motor, Devin Singletary, Frank Gore tape all day long, every day. Like, this is the guy you got to be with. If you can emulate this, you'll make it. They train together. They're friends. Brandon Bean said, no, we never talked about it once. So it just so happened that he lands in Buffalo with Frank Gore, the guy that his college coach basically groomed him to be. And he's a little bit different of a player. Like he's a he's more of a you know a dynamic, shifty back, and mm-hmm. Frank Gore's a little bit more power based. Yeah. But Devin Singletary's got some power to him too. I mean, I was impressed last week. He can I mean, run. Yeah, against New England. He was getting in the in between the tackles yeah. and putting his, his helmet in there. Yep. But you mentioned Brandon Brandon Bean and the the plan that he's executed. I think it's been pretty flawless and particularly in the running back room. You know, you, you go through the preseason with LaShawn McCoy still in hand because you know you want to be competitive this year. Right. So you know what you have in him at the very least. Insurance. If not, which yeah, how much did they have? I mean, I mean, he hasn't really had a great season in Kansas City. No. It's probably, you know, he's probably pretty much, you know, it's tough to be a running back in this league. Your body, he just doesn't bounce off of hits the same way anymore. And, you know, it's, it happens. But the way he's executed the plan, have a veteran presence and he, every day. I mean, and what's funny too, I'll tell you, it's not just Devin. It's everybody in that room from, you know, Mitch Morse, who is the big free agent signing to John Feliciano, to Lee Smith, to Tyler Croft, to Dawson Knox. Everybody stands in the lot in the huddle with Frank Gore and be like, damn, that's, that's Frank Gore. Yeah. When he talks, Guys, listen. Yeah. This is a future Hall of Famer. These guys have been running with him on on, on uh, Madden all these years. And so it's just a cool dynamic. Now, the one interesting thing, looking ahead, I really think that they have to find a way to get TJ Yeldon on the field because he adds a dynamic that Frank Gore doesn't bring in the passing game. And that's an area that you look at some of the way, and we'll talk about this down, we can talk about this more in a bit, 
But you look at the, some of the ways, like I went back and watched that Houston game when they their offense really played well against the New England defense. They really got their running their running backs involved in the passing game. If you could do that with Devin Singletary, fine. But TJ Yeldon, I think, has A, he's a great pass blocker. B, he's just, I think he's the best in, in the screen game. And so where does that leave Frank Gore? So now you did you had this great plan and you executed and it's been great. It's been great for Devin Singletary. He's a great rookie season. Uh, I think he's you know in top 10 yards per carry this year. But what do you do now when you want to win a playoff game and you might need to spike your offense a little bit with a guy like TJ Yeldon on a third down situation and he's inactive? So they might have too many options. Well, let's transition towards that at least. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the game on Sunday. Obviously, it's a meaningless game. So it's really hard to really pinpoint things that you really cared about happening. You didn't the, obviously the bill. The Bills, they didn't want to lose the game, but they weren't willing to sacrifice anything to win it. Going into that game, what were a few of the things that you were looking forward to seeing Hollywood play out, whether it's backups doing just anything basically that you're looking for going into that game? So I knew it was going to be a lot of rookies playing, and so I was kind of had my eyes out for who was going to really perform. Obviously, Duke Williams, we don't have to cover that. He he was the star of the game. I mean, six catches, 108 yards um, against the Jets' number one defense. That's one of the things that I think people are forgetting about in the in the conversation I've seen on social media. The Jets didn't sit anybody. Like, that was still the Jets' defense. Yeah, and they've been good. So, he had Matt Barkley, who wasn't that good, uh, and Duke Williams still put up 100 yards. Uh, I thought he had a good game. But the two guys that really stood out to me that I think you really got to be excited about for the future of your Bills fan is Tommy Sweeney, the tight end, mm -hmm. um, rookie out of Boston College, seventh-round draft pick, by who, by the way, a couple of draft experts called a steal of the draft after, you know, in the, in the aftermath of that. Uh, I'm a big Tommy Sweeney guy. I get it. He's actually one of the guys in the locker room. I'm usually yucking it up with when I'm just off to the side. Cause he's just like a regular dude. Uh, loves talking about pizza and wings. Uh, you might have to have him on the podcast. I might, actually. I might, I might. Um, but he looked great and, and he's a durable guy, a good route runner, not crazy speed, not crazy athletic, but gets the job done and made a couple big catches on the defensive side. Jaquan Johnson. I mean, he's from your neck of the woods down there, and uh, he went to Miami. Um, so electric, hard-hitting, playmaker. He's always around the ball. He had the interception that was called back, but I remember when he played in the preseason, he had a, I, one or two interceptions. He's, he's a dynamic player, and with Jordan Poyer's status kind of up in the air here as we enter um, you know, the offseason that, you know, are they going to give him a new deal? Micah Hyde's going to be up. Uh, Tredavious White, you're going to have to give a deal uh, coming up. That's a lot of money in your right, defensive sure. secondary. Yeah. And if you've got a young, talented guy like Jaquan Johnson, that could be one of those tough decisions. And and Sean McDermott has proven he's he, they call him the the cornerback or the defensive back guru because the, the way that he's able to find, um, evaluate talent and then develop that talent. So, I mean, you really have a lot of options because you have so many guys that have really played much better than I think anybody anticipated from Jaquan Johnson to Saran Neal, to Taron Johnson. You have real depth there in that secondary. When it comes to Duke Williams, look, why don't you think he does, why don't you think he has a bigger role in this offense? And listen, I'm not one of these Duke Williams uh, stands. You used that word earlier in the podcast. I really don't care about his story personally, although it is a cool story. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I only care about what's best for this football team. Why do you think Sean McDermott is deciding on Sundays that he's not what's best for this football team because he is a different receiver than what he has. They, he can make those contested catches. At least maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but he looks like a really physical run blocker to me as well. But yet, until a meaningless game, he's been inactive for, what, two months now. Why is he not active? Would you make him active on Sunday? Which, I don't know, maybe you know you have different insight than I do, but I, I kind of feel like Sean McDermott's not going to try to fix what wasn't broken for him. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But why is he not having a bigger role on this team right now? Because he seems like the kind of receiver that they could really use. It's twofold, I think. First off, I think it comes down to the fact that Robert Foster has emerged as a elite special teams gunner. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a position uh, you know, you have to have somebody that's good in that role and they've they've kind of found that for him. And that's why he's not even playing very many offensive snaps. So if that's his roster spot and he's gonna be active, then it comes down to part two of it. I think they like Isaiah McKenzie over Duke Williams. I think he offers more um, options. 
He can line up anywhere. He can line up in the backfield. He can play cornerback, as we saw yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. You know, um, so I just think it's more, you know, of what other guys can do and their, um, you know, position flexibility. It, another one of those cliches that over and over again they, they talked about during the offseason, that's what Isaiah McKenzie brings you. And uh, I think with Duke Williams, he is a physical guy and he does help in the run game, but um, I think they're more about dynamic playmaking. And there was two straight games after, you know, Duke Williams' uh, miraculous uh, or heroic uh, game-winning touchdowns against the Titans where he was pretty invisible. And, yeah. you know, he didn't get a ton of targets, but at the same time, he doesn't create a lot of separation either. So he gets and open. And, he did drop a pass too, son. Yeah. I mean, he had he put up a really good game, so I'm not criticizing his game as a whole, but he dropped what would have been a first-down pass too. He, yeah. he knows it. He owned it. And, you know, he, and, but they like his confidence, and they like his mentality. He says, I, I did a story on him last week, and, and it's a cool story because he spent the season being Tredavious's White's basically look in practice. Like, he's on the scout team offense, so yeah. he goes up against Trey every day, and he says, and Trey told me he makes unbelievable, miraculous catches in practice. And he, Duke said, if I even have any bit of space or I get the, def, the def defensive back on my back, I feel like I'm making the play. And you love that kind of mentality. But they got a number one receiver in their eyes in John Brown. They got their slot guy. And between them, those guys get a majority of the targets. So it, may, it might come down to where are we fitting this guy in. What about on, with Andre Roberts? You, you can make a case that, all right, well, is he that much better of a kick returner? And, and maybe he is. Is he that much better of a kick returner than, say, if you use Isaiah McKenzie in that role for Andre Roberts, then, say, Duke Williams would be an upgrade over Andre Roberts as a pure wide receiver. You know what I mean? You can make that case, and maybe they could have McKenzie back there returning kicks. That, I mean, that's Roberts a, is one of the best, of course. But. No, that's a good point. And Roberts went to the Pro Bowl last year and obviously brings it. He hasn't run one back yet, but he has consistently given them pretty good yes. field position. Agreed. And if you remember last year, Isaiah McKenzie had some fumble issues on, on returns. That's true. So that might be something that, you know, they... But he might not be available this week. He's still, you know, he's still working through this foot injury. Uh, he didn't play on Sunday, so we'll see if Andre Roberts is able to go this weekend. If he doesn't go... I think that opens the door to to activate Duke and TJ Eldon again. That's the other hot topic um, discussion going on, and I understand because all the points you made w was correct. I don't think there's any chance that they're not going to activate Frank Gore though. But if they're going to get Yeldon out there and, and go with three running backs, which is certainly possible, who did who sits in? You know, it's what's going to change for him to come into the lineup? Now Levi Wallace might not play, but if he does, he's probably not going to play, obviously. But if he doesn't, does that have anything to do with Yeldon? How does he get on the field? I mean, it's tough because you're right. I, the way they talk about Frank Gore, there doesn't seem to be any uh, way to maneuver around getting him out of the lineup. There's no way. There isn't. Let's just say in the fourth quarter, and we'll spend a few minutes talking about the game. Unless the Bills are up and they got to protect the ball. They got to get two first downs to run the clock out. Or worst case, you, you, can't, you can't fumble. You can't turn the ball over. Name me a running back out there that you trust more than Frank Gore to not fumble the football in a big spot. Or if you need two yards, if, if there's a if he can get two yards, he's gonna get it. But even worst case, he ain't fumbling. Just for that reason I just I don't see the I don't see any way that he doesn't suit up on Sunday. Right. Or and Saturday. I, and and as much as I think it'd be interesting to add TJ Yeldon to the mix, I don't think that with him inactive, you're losing some unbelievable playmaker that's gonna go out there and be a difference maker on Sunday or right. on Saturday. Um, it would be nice as a changeup, and maybe you could go to more of a two running back look that the Bills haven't really utilized a lot this year, where you get Singletary and Yeldon, both playmakers that could catch the ball in the backfield. But if you're not going to do that, like you said, and, and again, you got to come back to the identity and the mentality of this team. Where does it start? Listen to what Sean McDermott says. We want, first and foremost, we believe you win games in the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. So that means blocking up front, getting after the quarterback, and stopping the wrong on the other side of the ball. And so they feel like if they do a good job there, then they're going to be able to execute and, and score points or, you know, get stops. And so I don't think that they really, at the end of the day, worry so much about, you know, guy 52 and 53 and 54 and 55 that, and those last two that maybe aren't getting on the roster because there's, there's fundamental things that they think they need to do to win games. And it's going to be a close game regardless. Like they, this offense isn't there yet to where I think they're going to go into Houston and put up 45 points. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Josh Allen will save his first 300-yard game for the biggest game the Bills have played 
you know, this century. Yeah. Because listen, every one of these games now becomes the biggest game of the century because you had Dallas on national TV. You had Pittsburgh for a playoff spot on Sunday night football for the first time in 12 years. And now you have a playoff game on the road with a team that's been built from the ground up to compete. So yeah, it's, I can't wait, man. What do we got? Five days here. I can't wait to get to Houston, get out to the stadium. We'll shoot a video on, on, on Friday. Um, I'm, I'm already thinking about it. Well, I'll tell you what, this drops Tuesday morning. So it's new year's Eve. Let's just skip that. Let's skip new year's day. Skips right to Saturday. Anyway, I'm at Casey's Tavern, winding down Matt Perino. Let's just spend a minute talking about this game. We know that the defense needs to play well. That goes without saying, but I don't think that's enough. If they're going to win this game, they're, I don't think they're going to win this game 10-9, to 9, is what I'm saying. Josh Allen has to play, if not his best game. He's got to play one of his best games of the season. I think that's the only way they're going to win. I don't think that the Bills are going to go on the road in a playoff game and win with mediocre Josh Allen. He has to play well. Talk about it right now. That's where, of course, this is the fun part of a podcast. What do you got there? People over hearing us in the morning. And by the way, I kind of knew. Talk, talk, tell so Tom Pelissaro um, from NFL Network is reporting that the Browns are set to interview uh, Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. And there's been, hasn't there been like buzz? I can't remember from who that Carolina yep, might be interested Carolina in. Carolina as well. Brian Dable's probably going to be gone after the season. That's kind of a, Which is interesting thing. because you have a big portion of this fan base that have, have been asking for him to be fired yeah, this year. Crazy. Which is just wild to yeah. me. Like nine new starters, a second year quarterback who, for all intents and purposes, you know, the offense as a whole statistically hasn't taken some big jump, but the quarterback has. Yeah. I mean, really, statistically speaking, he's up in every category. And that can all get traced back to Brian Dable, and obviously Ken Dorsey deserves some credit, and Josh himself. But I think that Brian Dable has been, for what he's working with, and even with all these new players, I mean, how many marquee guys did the Bills bring in this off or this off season? Cole Beasley is a is a good slot receiver. Mm-hmm. John Brown is a good receiver, um, and Mitch Morris is a a top tier center. I didn't Other know I that, didn't know John Brown was that good though. I knew he was fast, and I knew he could make some plays downfield. He's actually turned into and all around, like a legitimate, like number one style receiver. He's not just get down the field to make a play. He's that guy. It's third and nine. He'll get you twelve. He's been that guy, and I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be, but he is. See, I thought he was a two. Yeah, I thought he was an elite two if he was playing with a good one, like yeah. when he was with Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. Yeah, uh, but he, like you said, he proved it. Um, but I think for all you know, you take the whole body of work and what Brian Dable has been able to do and, and develop some of these guys, and part of it comes from. You know, look at the coaching tree. He comes from the Belichick coaching tree, so immediately that sets him up for interest. And then now, Sean McDermott might start to, uh, you know, start sending some coaches out into the world. And he's got to to study the process and the the culture built by Sean McDermott and the unbelievable roots uh, or, or tree that Sean comes from. Andy Reid, Jim Johnson, yeah, uh, Ron Rivera. I mean, there's so many things that to, to look at, and that's what the, that's what. Cleveland needs more than anything is a culture put in place. Then after the fact, you can bring in guys to kind of push the right buttons. But if you don't have the the culture set and, and the environment set for a young quarterback who, let's be honest, I mean, Baker looked absolutely lost this season. Yeah. And he had playmakers everywhere you looked. Such a weird situation. Is there a better wide receiver combo in the league than Jarvis no, Landry and no. Odell Beckham? Certainly I mean, not on paper. Really? No. So, I mean, I think Brian Dable... While I'm a big fan of his, I think he's uh, he's done a good job. He's real personable. I, I think that, you know, uh, just from a personal standpoint, I, I like talking with him. And I, I think he it stinks for Bills fans because what they're building here is there's not a lot of this in the NFL where there's cohesion from year to year to year right. with staff and players. You know, Sean will be here, but they'll have to figure out an, an offensive coordinator. And, of course, it'll be, is Ken Dorsey ready to take over? Ken Dorsey's never been an offensive coordinator. That's a... It's a significant jump. So, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's funny. I cover the team. I don't know a lot about Ken Dorsey. They uh, Josh speaks pretty highly of him when we ask him about him. But, you know, other than that, it, I don't really know his impact on this offense. And and that's some stuff that we could d- dig into in the offseason and figure that stuff out. Um, because, <laughs> listen, again, back to Sean. 
you ask him a question about uh, TJ Yeldon or, or Duke Williams, and he'll give you three to four sentences about the young players on the football team without ever mentioning any right. of those guys' names. And that's, again, I respect it. Like, it, it is what it is. So it's hard to get details on, on, on who's actually, you know, moving the chains, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let, let's circle back and finish up by going back to this game coming up on Saturday. What has to happen for the Bills? When besides, again, the defense needs to play well. I mean, they're, they're not going to win 35-34. They're probably not going to win 35-34. I guess you never know. I should never make any kind of proclamation like that after watching Ryan Fitzpatrick go to New England and beat the Patriots. You never know what's going to happen on any given Saturday or Sunday. But in your estimation, what needs to happen besides the defense playing the way the defense is capable to win this football game on Saturday on the road against a beatable team, but, but no pushover. They're a playoff team too, and, and and they're good, and they got a really good quarterback and some good talented players on that team. They have to emulate defensively. They have to emulate what they did against them last year. Pressure Deshaun Watson, make it uncomfortable, close up those lanes. They had seven sacks against them last year. They're gonna have to do that again. You know who had a big game last year? Two sacks. Kyle Williams. What's Ed Oliver gonna do in this game? Is he ready to on the big stage like he did in Dallas again? you know, show up and have an impact on the game. He's going to need to do that against that uh, Deshaun Watson. On the offensive side of the ball, the key to this game, like it has been for this whole story, it's all coming full circle this whole season, can't turn the ball over. Josh Allen can't throw interceptions. Um, they got a really, really dangerous cornerback. Uh, uh, Roby, I think it's Bradley Roby. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable ball hawk. of a, uh, I watched a couple games uh, of Houston, and man, he was a free agent, a real low-key free agent last year that the Houston Texans kind of signed under the radar. And man, he's had a he looks real good for them. So he could be a problem if not accounted for. You got to be able to establish the run. Um, they're really tough up to up front. Merciless and JJ Watt, even at 50-60%, are going to cause problems for that run game. And that's where the Bills have really excelled this year. So if you can run the ball, take care of the ball, and your defense played like it did against them last year, and not like it did against New England. Uh, now two weeks ago, man, that was a real letdown. That's another thing about this team. It's interesting. I feel like week to week, you never really see the offense and the defense soar in the same game. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You go, Josh Allen goes on the road against New England, high-profile Saturday game, doesn't light it up by any stretch, but he's one of only two quarterbacks this year to throw for two or more touchdowns against the Patriots defense. He did it, and Deshaun Watson did it. So you go there, do that, you score 17, they're only allowing 13, So, and your defense is only allowing 15. So in most games, you win that, but the defense just fell short in that game. 400-plus yards, Tom Brady and that offense couldn't figure it out for a month before that game. They torched them. So this defense has to show up, be the defense that everybody knows it is and can be, and Josh Allen has to take care of the football and make enough plays, which I think most weeks, especially against defenses of this caliber, I mean, bottom tier in most categories. They're giving up a ton of yards. They're giving up a ton of points. You, you got to score points. You got to make big plays. And I think that'll be enough to win this game. I can't wait. I'll tell you, 2017, they'll never admit it, but I think it was just kind of a sense of, all right, man, we broke the drop. We're here. Let's just see what happens. We got nothing to lose. We're playing with the house money. I don't feel like that's the case on Saturday. I feel like this is a team that feels like, not just that they can go out there and win it. I feel like, I think the Bills think that they should go out there and win on Saturday. You, do you agree with that? There's a there's a quiet confidence in the locker room, and I think it comes from really being battle tested this season. They've gone on the road and won big games in Dallas and Pittsburgh and Tennessee. You know, those are games that you know Bills teams of the past don't win. And what's funny is they might have won the division if they would have won a couple more at home, oh. which is crazy to think about. And yeah. you hate to torment yourself over that. But I think the real good thing is. Listen, bottom line, where we're at right now, I had a schedule. The real target year was 2020 for this regime. They wanted three years to build it. And really, you're noticing the pendulum shift in this division. I mean, I think if you put these two teams up against each other on paper and you know, over the course of the last month, watch all of their games, you really get the sense that the Bills are a better team. I thought the Bills were the better team in New England. It just... They didn't make enough plays. They didn't tackle enough. It was just yeah. goofy stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? And so you got to be happy with that. And moving forward, 
You know, it's a whole new world. I mean, we could have a good football team we're talking about for the next couple of years. We keep watching food getting pumped out of this kitchen, man. I'm getting hungry again. Anyway, it's good stuff. Happy New Year, by the way, you bro. You too, man. It's great to have you on the show. At Matt Marino on Twitter. I got to do my thank yous here. I should thank my sponsors. I did not do that at the beginning. I got to thank Sounds Assured. I got to thank 26 Shirts. I got to thank Paul Seller. I got to thank, more than anyone, Casey's Tavern. Again, one more time, Amherst Street in Buffalo, Black Rock, legit wings. What do you got over there? Fried pickles. Fried pickles. Fried pickles. It's my guy, Joe. Uh, he always produces all my stuff. But I got to tell you, the fried pickles are freaking me out. I may not invite him around anymore. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, really good food here. Good owner, great vibe, good people in this place, and just a lot of things to do. It just looks really good. So thank you again, Casey's Tavern. Thank you to all you for listening. Have a good new year. I'll be back with a new show. You know what? I don't think I'm going to do a show on Friday. So we'll be back with a new show next week. I feel, I feel pretty like first four-timer. You're going to end the week on a high note on a Tuesday. Uh, release for tomorrow and the last show of 2019 i got matt perino on wow big time